leadership has become incredibly complicated. Workplaces are being disrupted in ways we never could have imagined. So what's the biggest challenge to leadership? I'm Michelle Johnston, management professor, executive coach, and leadership expert. And I believe the biggest challenge for today's leader is connection. Why? Because research shows that connection drives results. That's why I've written the book, The Seismic Shift in Leadership, and why we are putting together this podcast series. Through interviews with some of today's top business leaders, we are going to explore how leaders' ability to connect with themselves, their teams, and their organizations defines their ultimate success or failure. Now, on to today's episode. so honored today to have a special guest on this podcast, Larry Kloss. Larry Kloss is the founder and the CEO of Max Home, which has won so many awards. The ones I want to share with you, it's a nine-time winner of the Inc. 5000 Award. What does that mean? It's one of the fastest growing companies. It's a six-time award winner of the Top Places to Work. And recently, Larry personally received the Vistage Lifetime Achievement Award for his leadership. So you can see why Larry is profiled in my book. And I had the true pleasure of coaching Larry a couple of years ago and really getting to know his stakeholders and learning about what he implemented in his company that differentiates him from the rest. Welcome, Larry. So happy to have you. I want to hear about your journey because people are going to read about you in this book and hear about your mission is that everyone's happy and you came up with Max Happy on the website. Every customer, you've got 20,000 happy customers. They're going to read about this, but let's start with where this began. How did you get here? I guess the leadership journey really began when I started Max Home. Interestingly enough, before that, I had had a number of companies, but two or three employees, and there wasn't really much leadership going on. The leadership story, when it started, was directive. You know, I had three, then seven, then 10 employees, and I knew what to do, and they did not, and I had to communicate that to them. But that was also your personality. That was also, look, that was also my personality. So my, my personality was directive, was type A, was aggressive, was... Um, get it done under uh, all circumstances at any costs. And then as a company grew, the main, the main thing that changed it for me, and I think this is something where a, a lot of people stumble, is when you go from managing people, which is very easy to be directive, especially if you're the person who knows what work you're doing and how the work has to be done, to managing managers. And it was when I began managing managers that my personality was still there. The directiveness was there in the beginning, but I quickly realized that was probably not the best way to get results. So I stumbled. I, you know, I stumbled. It was a very difficult transition from just managing the work to managing managers. Luckily, I had good managers. I probably stumbled through that until I had managers managing managers. And then I really had to sit back and say, wow, what I've done in the past is not going to get me to where I want to go in the future. I know you felt like you were stumbling 
the biggest challenge that I see as an executive coach is that shift from the leader doing everything and knowing everything in operations and pulling up at a higher strategic level and having to manage managers who manage managers. That's the toughest shift, which you're articulating right now. So you mentioned that you stumbled. Did you receive feedback? Oh, I got feedback. When I had to build a conference room and double drywall the walls of the conference room to keep the yelling out from the rest of the office, I knew there was a problem. And that's a true story. Um, Yeah, I received feedback. I brought in organizational behavior people to help. I'm blessed with self-awareness. And at a certain point, I became self-aware of this. And about at the exact same point, I had my first child. And it was quickly that I realized that, wow, my type A aggressive personality is not going to be what takes a company to the place it needs to be. And it's not going to be what I need as a parent. Being blessed with self-awareness is, is, is incredible because I became aware of this on my own. And, and that's really like where the fun part of the journey started. Okay. So go back to your stumbling because you're leading managers who are leading managers and you have to fortify your conference room walls. And then what? So I took a course in personal leadership at Columbia University and it brought a lot of awareness to how I was leading. And, and then I just really began, a, since then, a 15-year study of leadership and how to get better at it. Once again, with the backbone of self-awareness that I needed to get better at it, but more importantly, with the drive that I knew that things had to change. And this all happened at, you know, a time in my business, a time in my family life, and probably a time in my physical maturity that I was ready to do this and ready to move on and ready to realize that I could be a different type of leader. You know, the the name of this podcast is The Seismic Shift, and the name of the book is The Seismic Shift in Leadership, How to Thrive in This New Era of Connection. And so I'm, I've been trying to unpack, trying to deconstruct why and where this exact shift occurred from the directive command and control style of leadership that you and I were the same age. It's kind of how we were brought up. And then speaking to 30-year-olds, they're like, what are you talking about? They don't understand that. So where do you think this came from? And do you think that when your leadership changed, you were a part of that movement to a different, more compassionate style of leadership? So interestingly enough, I read something about this recently. And and what they attribute a lot of the shift to is that the command and control style could not keep pace with the speed and change of modern business and society and how things were happening. It just, business was moving so fast, everything was moving so fast that that style did not work for that. And probably at some same time around there, the children that were raised in that entered the workforce and and wouldn't respond to that command and control. And I think that's where it came from. And personally, it did all happen around that same time for me. That's fascinating. I need to read that article because I really have been spending so many nights, sleepless nights, thinking, what was it? What was the real driver of this shift? And I do think it's technology. Yes. And I think you're right. And it, things started happening so fast, the advancements um, that you had to be more nimble and you had to change. And somebody like you who's self-aware, you were able to pivot. So tell me about the culture of your company then under the old leadership style, and now? It became brutally obvious to me that the way that I had led to that point was not going to get me to the next place. That, that I, I was not providing 
the people that work for me, the tools for themselves to grow. I was not providing the, 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 a nurturing environment. I was not providing a culture that would help them do what we needed to do. Right. Until then I was pulling everyone along behind me and the transformation went from pulling everyone along behind me to walking with, walking with them. And, and now I'm blessed that I'm, you know, a pace behind them and gently whispering in their ear and gently asking them what I can do to help. I love that. I love that description of your transformation. So what I want the listeners to walk away with is how they can implement. What are some techniques, um, strategies that you've used to get your culture to where it's an award-winning culture, where your mission is about happiness, where you have gratitude huddles. I mean, when you described your culture to me, it's everything that I would wish that one of my MBA graduates would do in their company. So could you give our listeners some some tips? Tell us about what you do to make your culture so award-winning. There's one main key to a successful culture, and that's that it has to be lived and breathed. And what's behind that is it has to be honest and authentic and exactly what everybody feels. Because if it's not honest and authentic and what everybody feels, people aren't going to live and breathe it. And when you start the culture of one of happiness, one of nurturing, one of caring, and you hire people who share those same values, it's not that hard to make it work. It just happens and it builds and it builds and it builds. However, you can't decide that this is what the culture is going to be. It's the exact opposite. It's we are, we know, we are people who care, nurture, love, and want people to be happy, and therefore we have this culture. So did your employees come up with this happiness culture? Was that something from them or you? So at the time, there were probably about 15 employees in the company when we came up with the mission statement, Everybody Happy. And it was a group decision of about five of us. Some of it was led by me. I mean, I have a, a personal background, whether it's be divorces as a child and different things that happened to me as a child that I wanted to make people happy. And I still want to make people happy, but it was more than just me. It was something that, that everyone shared at the company. And we had already been making decisions based on that, who to hire, how to treat customers that we wanted people happy. So it was, it was an easy shift at the time. And then when you hire based on that, when you hire based on the values and you hire based on the culture and you keep it out there and you really believe it, it's kind of easy. I love that. I, I spend an entire lecture talking about the systems theory and how, what is your goal? Is your goal to have a happy culture and happy customers? Well, then think backwards. What What's the input? Who are you going to hire? How are you going to find them? What questions are you going to ask? And then you onboard. And now that you're in your company, what are you going to do to retain, to make sure they're satisfied and engaged and still living the culture in order for you to get your outputs. I love that, that you immediately said it has to do with who you hire. So you're hiring based on your mission and your values. Yeah. And, and I can't overestimate that you have to really believe it. Like you have to live it. You have, it has to be exactly what you think. If that's not what you think, it, it's not going to work. If you think, we really do think everybody happy. We think and we've changed it now to max happy. We really want our customers, our employees, we want to make everybody happy. And that's what we care about. We don't care as much about the bottom line or about other results as much as we care about that. The beauty of what we do and how we do that is, is that the bottom line follows, right? 
you make your uh, teammates and employees happy. They make the customers happy. It makes the shareholders happy. So how do you do that? Tell the listeners about some of the things, the processes, the meetings, the huddles, the lunches, the breakfasts that you have. So, okay. I'll get past the main point, which I just want to say one more time, is you actually have to mean it and care about it. And then when you do it, obviously you have to systematize it. So every morning, all the managers and most of the second or third line leaders, which is probably about 60 or 70 people in my company, have a morning huddle. And everyone starts out with what they're happy about, right? Everyone reports on what they're happy about. And then they'll say, oh, and yesterday, here are my numbers. Uh, and this is what I'm working on. When weekly meetings come together, because we also have weekly meetings, everybody starts with that too. Now, there is a rule someone early on asked. They said, hey, you know, my dog died. I'm not happy about anything today. Feel free to share that. And that grew into other things where we share vulnerabilities and, and, and other things to grow as a team. But we literally talk about happiness in every meeting. So give me some examples of what your leaders say. Do they say like, I'm just happy this morning that I got a good night's sleep? Because I have a newborn. I mean, do they talk about personal anything? So 80% of it is personal. I'll give an example from yesterday. Um, Corey, who you've met, came in and he said, I am so happy that I get my first weekend hunting and I haven't been able to hunt in a year uh, because I had a child. Now I haven't been able to hunt and I missed last season and I'm so happy that I get my first day hunting. I talked about how I was so happy that I threw a successful industry party the other night. Most of the happinesses are... Oh, guarantee you this past Monday, 50% of the people said the same thing for their happiness. So glad the New Orleans Saints beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? And they're, 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 <laughs> that was an amazing game. <laughs> it was an amazing game. And, there's, and there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what we want. So that's right. We, we encourage you to be personal and, and because the other four things that they talk about are all going to be business. And, and we understand that there's that. There's that. Now, in our weekly meetings, we actually, everyone talks about a business high and low and a personal high and low. And then we have a number of things that people, uh, values highs and lows, and then a number of things that people come in and out of. They'll either say a thank you, a fallibility. The fallibility is something, I let myself down on this. I knew I could have been better. And, and that just really creates a strong team. And then the, the thank yous do also. And so sometimes the thank yous uh, have nothing to do with someone else in the room. The other day, I said a thank you that... Uh, a friend of mine re reminded me how to reframe things in a way looking at being showing gratitude rather than complaining about something. So instead of saying, my God, my afternoon is terrible, saying, I have a hard afternoon, but I'm really grateful that I get to go home and relax this afternoon. So that was just an example. So we, we try to make a lot of that stuff. We'll put some business in, but we try to make it as personal as possible. So I, I'm reframing, you know, you used to call them icebreakers. And now I'm just calling them connection exercises. I'm telling my leaders, what are you going to do in the beginning of your meeting to connect? What is your connection exercise today? And so many of the leaders that I coach say, Michelle, we don't have time for that. What would you tell those leaders? Absolute nonsense. They don't, they don't have the time not to do that. They're not going to get the team built. And, and you can study so many things on teams now. There's, you know, Greg Popovich from the San Antonio Spurs is a fantastic study on this and what he's done on, on, on connection with, with the teammates. But without that connection, without the personal connection, you're not going to get a team. And, and we talked earlier about the speed of how things are moving, right? Teams are what overcome that speed and overcome business complexity. Single individuals don't. One of the practices that I would suggest, so we started with the happiness, right? 
And, and obviously when we started this, there was a, a trend towards more business happiness. And then there was a push towards the, the sharing of personal happiness. And now it's almost all personal happiness. And that really brought us together as a team. When we brought in the fallibility and we made that a requirement, and that was a requirement for about six months that everyone had to say a fallibility of theirs, that took it to a whole nother level. I can tell you there's no way we could have jumped to the fallibility without the happiness first. The happiness is just, look, so no one would have known that Corey liked hunting. People wouldn't have understood that I have a gratitude practice until we share this. And, and those things bring people together in a way that just reporting on business numbers won't. And, and look, it is as simple as you can time me on this. Oh, I'm really happy that I get to go hunting this weekend. I haven't been hunting in three months. Uh, yesterday in my training class, this is what we covered, right? So I'm, how long does that take? Six seconds. And it really establishes a connection when you're doing this every day. And by the way, every, like I said, 60 or 70 people in the morning do this every morning. 60 to 70 on a Six. Zoom huddle, a telephone call. Sadly, Zoom. Yeah. Yep. Sadly, Zoom. Now it used to be in person. It used to be standing. And everyone starts off with a happy as a rule. So some of my leaders say, well, Michelle, I connect with my direct reports in one-on-ones. Why do I have to spend this time during my big team meeting to go around? That takes so much time. The example that you used is one that I used, a similar one. I'll say, okay, but Mike over here just shared that for the first time, he's an empty nester. His youngest just went to college. And Charlie over here says, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I'm in the same boat. And those sorts of information that you share, that's what builds a team that you don't get just in one-on-one. So I agree with you. It's all about the trust and just knowing something more than just bottom line business. Thank you for saying this because you're reinforcing what I do, what I try to say. Okay, so you have gratitude, you have happiness huddles. Tell me about, um, you talked about onboarding, you talked about hiring the right people. You still hold breakfasts, I think? So sadly with COVID, we're not holding breakfasts. But just look when you bring up onboarding. So one of the things that we do with onboarding is we have a sheet uh, first day sheet has values and and mission statement on it and uh, uh, definitions of lingo uh, terms in our terminology in our industry, but it has uh, places where they have to walk around to three people in the offices in the office and ask them what makes them happy and then write it down and tell them what makes them happy, and and the whole purpose of that is just to to bring in the happiness thinking. Every before we get into every weekly meeting, we have the whole company has a. Uh, one of our beliefs or values is assigned that week and every department will tell stories about it. Someone will say, so, so this week the, the value is collaboration and someone else will say, well, let me tell you something. So the other day I had to go down to production and, and I didn't even know where to start. I needed to get something for this customer. I didn't know where to start. So I just walked in and I stood there and what was incredible for me, even asking someone said, Hey, Jane, what, what, what do you need? You look like you need help with something. Oh, I can't help you with that, but let me find someone who can. And we start that process of telling stories. And then once a month, those stories, each department picks someone to go tell their favorite story that month in a Zoom call with all the departments. So it's about 12 people on it. They all tell the stories about one of the values that we talked about that month. And then we pick a values winner from that. And and the, the process of that is one that the storytelling is a secret to that, right? The storytelling is what makes it easy. We've hired people to come in and take videos of people telling stories. And they've actually said, they go, oh, look, that's so much trouble. I just, I hate asking people to talk. I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. 
you put my employees together and you ask them to tell a story about this, they love it. They love the storytelling aspect. And that really helps keep, that's something that helps keep the culture alive. Absolutely. That is brilliant. You know, I'm coaching a leader right now who used to work for the Ritz-Carlton and he was educating me about every single morning their huddles begin with what is the value of the week and what is the story to talk about those values. And that's how you embed the values in your culture. You got to talk about it and you have to share stories, right? Of how you're living the value, which versus a lot of companies that we know, they go through the process, they create values, they put it up on a poster, they have people sign it, but they don't live it, breathe it and talk about it. So, uh, you know, I probably did the listeners a disservice earlier when I said the main thing about it was was believing it and making sure that you, it's true. There is a lot of work behind it. There's a lot of work behind it. However, the work becomes, it doesn't become something that you have to remember to do when you realize how important it is. But it's intentional. Oh, it's completely intentional. We, we, so, and by the way, I own it. Now I have a culture committee, right? And I do not own the actual work of getting the culture out there. And I do not own any more the definitions of it. But what I do own is like, I own the PL and I own that, right? That is something that I care about as much as a PL. Other people are going to do, look, other people do the work. I don't do the work. I have fantastic team members that do the work. But I own that PL. I have to own those bottom line results and I have to own that culture. We, uh, we have, we, we followed scaling up, which is a business model. And uh, operating system for running businesses. Every every quarter we do quarterly planning. Every year we do yearly planning, and and further out three to five year planning. And part of that is building out priorities for every quarter. I have a culture priority every quarter. Absolutely every quarter I have a culture priority. That's fantastic advice. This podcast directly parallels my new book titled The Seismic Shift in Leadership, How to Thrive in a New Era of Connection. Through a series of revealing interviews with 18 leaders from around the globe, I will show you how connecting with yourself, your teams, and your organizations can get you to the next level. The Seismic Shift in Leadership is available right now on Amazon or wherever books are sold. For more information about the book, you can visit my website at www.michellekjohnston.com. So as you know, my whole premise of this, of this book and this podcast is connection, connection, connection. In order for a leader to be successful, they have to connect with themselves so they can demonstrate authenticity. They have to connect with their team by showing them compassion, and they have to be able to connect with the organization with strategic alignment, exactly what you're talking about. So when, after that, when I had the, the Eureka, and that was my theory, and I knew I was going to write this book, then I went out and found 18 leaders to learn about stories like you're talking about, and you're one of them. And what we uncovered and unpacked is the real secret sauce to connection with your team lies in servant leadership. And so this wasn't my idea at all. It just emerged from the data. And you were one of the leaders that emerged as somebody who's a wonderful servant leader. Can you share with us what you do and how you do it? So you, you started off talking about connection. We talked about connection in your book, a connection with yourself, connection with others in the organization. The easiest way that I found and the quickest way 
that I have found to get that connection is the happiness stuff. Ask people what makes them happy and tell them what makes you happy. It's incredible when you tell someone what makes you happy. And by the way, all new employees do that with me in a meeting. I host a meeting once a month with all new employees. And the first thing we say is say your name, what makes you happy and what you do here. And when you do that, it's an incredible connection. The second thing that I found that I use all the time, all the time, is the fallibility stuff. 70% of the time in a true, honest way and 30% in a joking way sometimes, I will always joke about a personal fallibility. I will always say, look, this is something that I'm not very good at. And, and I'm going to tell you what, there's it, that's easy for me because I'm not very good at many things. The things we're talking about here, culture, that's something I'm good at. I can't even balance a checkbook, so don't put me in front of a, you know, P&L without someone sitting there explaining it to me. But the happiness and then the fallibility helps immediately create those connections. Immediately. When you ask someone, hey, what makes you happy? And they honestly tell you, and you go back, oh, hey, you know what? I really like Saints football. I love sailing. And I have two kids that I love spending time with. So within 15 seconds, there's a connection. And, and what's nice is you've just given up something about yourself, the connection to yourself and the connection to others. Going into servant leadership, it's funny, I learned that term years after I started practicing it. And, and I talked about the, you know, pulling people ahead to walking next to them to walking slightly behind them. And now I'm, I'm moving further and further behind and how I do it. And one of the simplest keys that I do, and if you can ask anyone is I end almost every meeting with, Hey, how, how else can I help you? What can I do to help you? That's the essence of servant leadership, right? It is the essence of servant leadership. And if you ask every time, and there's a beauty to it, I'm sure listeners are saying, well, I don't want to ask that question because I don't want to get the answers. Right. I don't want them to say, well, you know what? You can do this report for me. You have to have the right culture and the right employees that when they ask for help, they're going to say something. And here's what I usually get. I never get, can you do something for me? But what I get all the time is, I don't think I can do this. Can we put this off? Can we reassign this? Can we relook at this as a priority because I'm not getting to it? Can you help me find resources for this? because I'm struggling with it. It, it. Work isn't like no one's saying, hey, Larry, yeah, you know what? You can do, can you go do this for me? But they're asking me like to take pressures off of them, which as a leader is really important, especially in today's speed of business. Yeah, you're removing obstacles, but you took the organizational chart of you being at the top, directing, 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 and you turned it upside down and you said, I'm behind you, helping you develop, helping you remove obstacles. I love that. So really quick, Michelle, the, the key to that too is uh, well-defined company visions and goals. Because when you have well-defined companies' visions and goals, a leader is then allowed, uh, that people buy into, a leader is then allowed to, to step back, allow people to follow those goals that are not you. You're not the goals. You're not out there screaming the mission. They're out there well-defined as a group that, that the group has defined and it allows you to step back and just help them get there. So some of the pushback that I've gotten coaching leaders will say, Michelle, so you're giving me examples of creating a positive culture, being a servant leader, happiness, gratitude. My company is a construction company. I can't have a culture like that. What we haven't shared with the listeners, Larry, is what your company does. It's Can a, you? It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a construction company. <laughs> exactly. 
it's a construction company with, uh, with the happiness values and three out of four executive members are female. And, and tell, and tell us what they do, what Max Home does every day. So Max Home, we, uh, install bathrooms and windows and maybe renovate. I think we're maybe 300 bathrooms a month and maybe install windows in 150 houses a month. And, and that stretches from Florida to Texas. That's incredible. Yeah. So you've grown. So you're in the Gulf South region, correct? Yeah. And, and look, I don't, uh, I spent the other night with, we're on a podcast with one of the probably most popular podcast guys out there, Jocko Willink, who's a ex Navy SEAL, has an incredible uh, a podcast. His themes are one of accountability, but under no circumstances would he not understand that everyone has to be happy and working together. And, and, and it's interesting. I'm sure he and I could talk for hours how that dovetails with accountability, right? Because it does. I have a new leader right now that just took over an entire um, region of companies. And the first thing he said to me is, Michelle, there's a real lack of accountability. I'm going to need you. I'm going to need your help with that. If you were his executive coach, what would you do? I would tell him to read Jocko's book and study some of Jocko's stuff. Jocko is fantastic on accountability. And, and by the way, what went through my mind there is to explain to listeners how a happiness culture and accountability culture can coexist. But Michelle, I can't explain it because I don't even understand how they couldn't coexist. I mean, why, why would they not coexist? Right. In fact, to the point where part of our happiness, like you're letting someone down and if you're letting a department down, you're letting your people down and not being accountable you're not contributing to the greater happiness. I mean, we see those as completely linked. It, it's funny that I can't even in my brain make the connection as to how they're not, like, how are they not linked? That's right. Because if you're not accountable, you're letting your teammate down. If you're letting your teammate down, you're not living the values. If you're not living the values, how can you show up every day and say that you're happy? Or even, but remember, it's not just you. It's, it's, it's the, the, everyone else's happiness. If you're not being accountable, chances are you're letting other people down and not creating happiness for them. I love that. So you're a true servant leader. You demonstrate that. You believe in culture. You demonstrate that. What's, as we close out this, this podcast, and I can't thank you enough for taking your time to be on this show with me, what advice would you give, particularly to new leaders who think, oh my gosh, one day if I'm in Larry Kloss's shoes, I'm going to do this. What's your advice? So my advice would be for new leaders is take the time to understand the connection to yourself. Take that time. I, I know your book's about that. However, connection to self for many is going to be harder than connection to others and is going to be harder than connection to organization. For many, it's going to be more of a struggle. It's going to be more introspective. Uh, you might see things you don't like. I mean, I did at one point. I saw things I didn't like. When I had to build, like I said, when I had to build double drywall and special paint on my conference room walls so people wouldn't hear yelling, I knew there was something that about me I didn't like. Take that time, right? Get to know yourself because until you get to know yourself, you're not going to build true connections with others and you're not going to be able to connect to the organization. I mean, those are all obviously steps and steps that work together, but it, it takes time and it takes, look, sometimes it takes coaching. I, you know, I went back to school. I'm in school now at Rice for coaching Sometimes it takes coaching. Sometimes it takes 
therapy. Sometimes it takes brutal, brutally honest feedback that you're not getting, but, but work on those things and make sure you understand who you are, both as a leader and as a person, because they completely combine together. I'm sure listeners say, oh, I don't have time for that or it'll take a long time. Understood. However, you're not going to get to the level of leadership that you really want to until you take those steps. You're preaching to the choir. I could not agree with you more. And connection with self to me is the foundation. You're absolutely right. You can't have meaningful connection with your team unless you're truly connected with yourself. And it does take a lot of time and openness to feedback. And that's what some of my leaders struggle with is when we're reviewing their 360 results and looking at all the data, they have a hard time and get defensive. And so what advice would you give these leaders who are staring at their 360 feedback and they're starting to get defensive and, and you've done multiple 360 feedbacks. That was, you had mentioned you're in getting your certification in executive coaching right now from Rice. You got your master's from Harvard. You went right next door here to Tulane as an undergraduate. You definitely are into continuous improvement and continuous learning. Do you remember when you got your first 360, how it felt? It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. What's so funny is what you just said links into my latest feedback. I did the 360 four months ago and I had feedback on it. And you brought up the education that I sought. The coach says, oh, look, one of your greatest strengths is self-actualization. I said, yeah, I'm very much into self-actualization, if listeners can't tell. And uh, he said, what? Let's talk about how that works for you. And I talked about how it worked and I talked about how I've continually gone back for education. And he said, do you see any drawbacks? And I said, no. And he said, well, do, does anyone comment on how you relate to them in any self-improvement ways? And whew, boom, it hit me, right? It hit me that I, you know, I've had issues with my family on how I act. You know, I could probably get holier than thou because of my constant need for self-improvement. So here I, here I am, have had 10 of these over the course of my career. I'm reviewing the strengths of one and boom, I got hit upside the head. Something, a blind spot I've ignored for years. Cause, yeah, because not everybody is into self-actualization not, as much as you are. And they might feel judged and they might feel like pressure from you. And they, 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 guess what? They do. And they've told me that. Mm-hmm. And I have told them all along, no. No, that's not me. And then I realized as soon as I saw this and as soon as the coach asked me the question that it wasn't even my weakness on my, on my 360. It was my strength that was causing me one of the problems. So when, when, you, when you go to, when, I guess what I would say to a, a young leader is believe it, work on it, be open to it, and constantly be open to it. So when I, when I teach your classes, I've taught classes for Michelle, and what I do at the end is I end the, I end it, I say, and I make small talk for thirty seconds, and then I literally go back to the class and I say, "Hey guys, like, what did you think I could do better? What do you think I could do worse about this?" And I do that all the time in meetings, right? And and I guess that would be something else I would suggest to new leaders is is keep that feedback loop open, really open. Make sure you're asking and pushing for it. Overdo it because a tendency as you grow as a leader and as you get higher up in an organization is you're going to get less feedback. It's not going to be, you get more. So if you don't build a practice of really pushing for that feedback and building a, a culture of openness where you can get it, 
And, and there are some people who won't give me good feedback and there's other people who completely sit down and, and, and give me great feedback, but at least have that culture of it. What could I have done better? How did I mess that up? I love that. And I love how you articulated the feedback loop. I often tell my leaders, because there are a lot of challenges with Zoom and how we're working every single day in this two-dimensional environment. And I'll say, okay, if you notice that a bunch of your employees have the video off or you notice that they're not engaged, how about at the end saying, okay, let's evaluate this. What's working? What's not working? And fear gets in the way of a lot of leaders asking those questions. They don't want to know the answers, but get the input of your people saying, how can we make this better? How can we make this better? How can we make this better? This is hard. And if you build that in as a process, it becomes easier to do. You know, one, actually one last tip I would like to give people that has worked really well for me. And it's the do-over. And the do-over is, I'm sorry. I think I blew that. Can we do it again? And that shows right there fallibility. And I'm going to tell you what, I use that once a week. I'll have had a conversation. I'll have had said something and it might not be in the instant. It might be later that day. It might be the next day, but Hey, I'm sorry. However that went and however, whatever, whatever, however we communicated, I don't think I did the best I could. Can we just do a do over and can I start again? Well, that is a beautiful way of ending this. Thank you so much, Larry. One of these days when I get more time, I'm going to write a case study that we're going to use in all of our classes on Max Home and how you've built this incredible company through your leadership practices and positive culture and servant leadership. I just can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. You're welcome. It's great being here. Thank you for joining us on The Seismic Shift. And before you go, can I ask one favor of you? Do you mind sharing today's episode with a leader you know? The power of this conversation is found in your using it and sharing it to create real connection in your life. Lastly, I'd like to thank Loyola University, New Orleans and the Terra Firma audio team for helping bring this content to life.